स्मार्टकास्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रोटू बाई स्मार्टकास्ट आई एम प्रसिद्ध बैनर्जी एंड आई राइट अबाउट टेक एट मिंट एंड दिस इज टेक पॉडकास्ट वेर वी टैकल सम हॉट टॉपिक्स इन टेक्नोलॉजी एंड ऑल्सो बस्ट सम मिथ्स Today's episode of Etcetera is going to be slightly longer than usual but we also owe you one given that we have not done one of these in a long time. Today I'm speaking to Will Poole who's the co-founder and managing partner of Unitas Ventures and Capria Ventures. But before founding these two venture firms Will has been in executive roles in global tech companies including Microsoft and Sun Microsystems. And he was a pioneer in e-commerce as the co-founder of eShop in the early 90s which was later acquired by Microsoft now this conversation is fully about generative ai i wanted to speak to will about how vcs are looking at this because at the end of the day all our startups are going to go ask them for the money right so how a vc thinks of generative ai is quite interesting and important today and will had some interesting answers i asked him about how people will lose jobs and he very readily agreed that that's going to happen i asked him a little bit about policy we even spoke about stephen wolfram at one point you'll hear all of that and it is a pretty interesting conversation and will's take on generative ai is that it's basically here and we just have to prepare for it listen for more so will let me let me quickly start with sort of an uh, introduction you have of course been investing in companies for a long time what brought your interest into generative ai and you know uh from what you have done in the past to what you are doing today let's just quickly talk about yourself in this space yeah well so i've been a a deep tech investor for the first 30 years of my career either investor or entrepreneur or corporate operator and frankly i made the transition into what i call more of applied tech back when i started investing in india around 2012 and and really got interested in businesses that can scale massively with the assistance of technology but probably they built technology of course but they did not build deep tech themselves uh so the interesting thing is about the debate around generative ai is who will be the leaders in building the the fundamentals of the underlying technology and that's going to be the tech giants these things are massively expensive to build Then there's another layer that are building we call the picks and shovels, right? It's the tools, middleware, things that sit on top of that. And then then there's people that are applying it. And so what I'm really interested in is is those that can apply AI. Initially, actually long before generative AI came out, we were looking for companies that could apply AI well to meeting needs of very large populations that uh, that are underserved with products and services. And so uh we've been investing in Indian companies that do that for some time and uh generative AI came on November 30th of last year and you know if you're an investor you'd have to be seriously asleep at the wheel to to not be interested in this technology given the the speed at which it it uh, was introduced to the world. And so we of course uh right away looked and said across our portfolio hey who who can use this quickly who can deploy it um who can be leaders in in building better better products better services better experiences uh who can beat their competition by being fastest to the go with uh applications of of generative ai and so that's really what my mission has been since about the end of december uh, as i really got ramped up with our portfolio globally you know it's it's sort of interesting you said that it it's been introduced at this sort of breakneck speed uh where many people sort of didn't see this coming right but uh, generative ai has existed for 
ages now, right? I mean, Google founded Transformers long ago. Yeah. Uh, we have heard of generative AI and what it was doing. What happened? Why did we suddenly see ChatGPT and everything sort of exploded in this space? Well, that, that, that's a fascinating thing. And let, let me let me give you another historical example. So I, I was uh, raising money for an e-commerce company back in the, in the early 90s. We were pioneers in e-commerce. And uh, September of 1993, this thing called Mosaic was launched. And you know, within six months, uh, that's the first web browser, within six months, pretty much every venture capitalist would ask you, hey, what's your worldwide web strategy? And even if you weren't doing anything on the web yet, um, they'd ask you what your strategy is. Because they, what they saw was that this technology was going to be really changing a paradigm very broadly um, at changing the way that companies can communicate with customers, changing the way that consumers can get access to things. And, and they recognize that any good entrepreneur has to build that into their strategy in some form or another. Um, and the same thing has happened here, right? The, the fact is that when OpenAI went from zero to 100 million users in a short period of time, faster than even TikTok, everybody realized very quickly that, there, that something is different now. The, the concept of a conversational UI with a bot that's actually intelligent enough to converse back to you every now and then it might want to marry you, but for the most part, it's a, it's a, it's on the it's got the rails lined up well, it's doing the right thing. Um, and so when they uh, they saw that change in the par paradigm, they said, "Hey, we have to make sure this is being used by our companies uh, uh, quickly." And and frankly, even the deep researchers in uh, in the AI space, and I've talked to many of them, I ex Microsoft guy, I, I know many people there. Um, many of them were surprised by the speed at which the uptake happened and the quality at which uh, OpenAI's uh, ChatGTB 3.5 was able to engage with people. No, I mean, obviously people at OpenAI knew this, but outside of that, nobody really knew that they reached an inflection point in the usability of that AI across so many domains at the same time that it would simply change the paradigm of conversation. And that's really what happened. That's why it happened fast. And even the web browser, if you think about it, back in the early 90s, that was, of course, available to anybody. That's the beauty of the internet. But not everybody had, even had an IP connection on their, on their PC. They didn't have an internet stack on their PC, even if they had a PC. So it took time for these things to come out. Here, everybody has a PC, everybody has a phone. So all of those billions of people at the same time can get, get access to this new way of communicating with a, uh, with a service that knows everything. So how can that not change faster than anything we've ever seen before? It does. Let me quickly go back, like say just about five years or so, right? Generative AI today, I mean, we're calling it generative AI today. Uh, ChatGPT is basically conversing with people, right? And I remember, say, even about five years ago, there were companies like Automation Anywhere and all which used to talk about conversational AI. Why didn't we have the confidence at that time? Why didn't, say, uh, even VCs for that matter, why didn't they have the confidence in, in conversational AI, but they do on this? But let, let me be clear. So uh, let me give you an example. So we, we invest in a company called SalesCan that is using AI uh, to help uh, actually sales conversations uh, between a out, outbound or inbound sales rep um, and their customer. In real time, they're using uh, voice to text, feeding that into an AI and helping the salesperson have a better experience, um, you know, do a better job closing a deal, right? Or, or, or dealing with a customer complaint. They started doing that four years ago, right? So as you said, this is not new, but what's happened is that they're in a very specific domain, took a lot of training, a lot of expertise to make that work and they can make it work well. 
What happened with, with ChatGTP 3.5 is that it became at a higher level of conversing, um, more accuracy, more sophistication, and across all domains at the same time without training. That's what's really different, okay? So uh, that's why it's now applicable everywhere. Another example, we have a, uh, an investment in a company called Bharat Agri that does farmer advisory. So farmer advisory, one of the things they have to do is they got to talk to the farmers and, and you know hear what their issues are, what their needs are. They have a customer service team of 12 people. They put ChatGTP in there and they were able to take 30% of that staff away right away because ChatGTP could answer the farm. This is Indian farmers could converse with this thing effectively, yeah. right? Now that they're speaking in Hindi, English, English, you know, some mix of all of that. And the fact is it could make it work. So I think, again, those things were not possible just six months ago. And, and that's what's really changed things. Got it. I'll, I'll come back to that. But, you know, uh, say again, uh, a few years ago when, uh, say, convolutional neural networks first came in, suddenly we saw CNNs being infused into sort of every AI product. And they started saying that, you know, we run on CNNs and then something else came and so on and so forth. Right. So today then, all of these conversational platforms, are are you telling your companies that, okay, you need to move to generative? Or if, if let's say, there is a company which is doing well on sales conversations, right? Or customer support, for example. Customer support is pretty structured. We don't really need generative AI, right? Yeah. So are you at that point where you're saying, no, put generative AI? Or are you at that point where you're saying, okay, if you're doing it fine, then just go ahead with what you have? I think that's an excellent question. And I think it really depends on what is the state of the company. Right. So they are already in advanced use of, of AI and they've tuned something that fits and, and it solves the customer problem. That's great. But the question they're then going to be saying is, well, what happens when the customer goes into a new domain? Right. They start asking me a question that my, I'm not trained on. Well, the new generation of AI can actually deal with that. Or the customer calls up and, and again, speaks to me in English instead of English. Right. And, and all of a sudden now they can say, oh, well, actually, the, the AI can take that. Right. And and that's that makes a difference. Right. So so if you can move to this generalized capability, even to front end the specialized work you've got, you're going to have a better experience for your customer. So that's really what we're charging everybody to do is to make sure, you know, and prototype with what the generalized model can do um, and top of the innovation you've already got. Other people might have no AI at all in the customer interaction. And for them, they can go and put generative AI there for the first time and improve the customer interaction from zero in a very short period of time. Got it, got it. You know, I've covered technology in India for about 13 years now. And I remember when early on, uh, in, the, in the last decade or so, early on in the decade, there was this sort of boom where every company was just very interested to say that I have AI. It, yeah. I mean, we often would ask a company a question that, you know, why do you even need an AI? Right. But it was just a thing. That's what they thought would wow every VC. And uh, it, it was sort of almost, a, you know, general saying that, you know, if you don't have AI, VCs won't invest in you. Is 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 generative AI that today? I'm embarrassed to say that, that the venture capital industry has been has been called, you know, sheep or lemmings for a long time. Right. Um, they tend to travel as a herd and they tend to sort of get pointing in one direction and go there. And and that that's been true ever since I started, you know, my my work uh, as a as a founder uh, back in the early '90s, and saw, as I mentioned earlier, about how everybody just just flocked to anything web um, in, in 1994. 
Um, same thing with with Web three, right? And 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 with blockchain, a lot of people are maybe feeling a little bit burnt from that that flocking and and just following blindly. Um, so I, I think that yes, there was a, a bit of AI washing that happened back then, as you said. Um, I think now it's not the same, right? Um, first of all, one thing is you don't need to hire a bunch of data scientists and AI developers anymore, right? So the the, the guys that I mentioned that, that do the farmer advisory, Brad Agri. They did that with just their standard engineering staff connecting up to the OpenAI uh, API, um, and took them out of a couple of weeks to get that into production. So the 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 time to develop and the if you will the equalization of all companies' access to advanced AI technology again has gone through a step function that wasn't there just even a year ago. Got it. So how do you then? How do you look at companies today in the context of AI and generative AI? Well, first of all, we, we screen uh, anybody coming in and to say, just is generative AI a positive or negative uh, influence on their strategy? Um, meaning, if they use generative AI well, will it really accelerate their ability to execute their plan? Um, or if they don't use it well, will their competitors beat them? Um, and will it really create an inflection? Or is it really a company that just doesn't have an app, a place to apply generative AI? And there are some, right? There are operating businesses that do things that just, you don't need a generative AI for, for the fundamental product or service delivery, right? If you're making a consumer product, a beauty product, you know, AI might help you write the marketing copy a little bit, but it's not going to change the science underneath the beauty product, right? Or the, or the, the, the ads that you run most likely. So, so we're going to look at every company through a generative AI lens as we screen companies. And we're going to make sure the founder, just like I had to do back in the early 90s of my e-commerce startup, we're going to make sure the founder has a good strategy and that they probably have prototyped something. And if they haven't prototyped something without a good strategy and there is a, uh, the ability for generative AI to help their company, chances are we're not going to be an investor. I picked from history a little too much maybe sometimes, but... You know, in uh, when recommendation engines came in, right? We used to measure uh, companies saying that, look, if you do not have a recommendation engine, you are likely going to lose the customer because recommendation engines also used to keep the customer with you. Mm -hmm. Is is that how it is with generative AI? Like you said, that we look at whether your you know competitor will beat you, right? Is that how? Yeah. It works? No. Look. Look. So let, let me give you another example. So think about a marketplace right now. You go to a marketplace and you type in some search terms. And it has a recommendation engine, like you said, and it gives you a bunch of stuff. Well, wouldn't it be better if you actually picked up your phone and said, hey, I'm looking for a product like this in this price range, I prefer that it's blue um, and what you got. And it would then come back and say, well, are you looking for a higher end or a lower end product um, or this, you know, whatever, ask you a question, you clarify, and then it gives you, here's three really good examples. Right, um, and internally, all three of those are spot on. Well, generative AI can do that now, right? It can have a two two way conversation with you. It can help you hone what's effectively creating a better query of a marketplace, very large set of data, and give you really good results very quickly. That's way more satisfying than saying, uh, "Okay, type in a bunch of terms which I may not be good at." You know, typing a good search, get a big long list of stuff, and then I got to sort through that, see which of them have bad recommendations, right? Um, which of them aren't right for me. So you can make a more efficient interface in front of that marketplace. So now if I'm a consumer and I got a choice, I can go to marketplace A that has what I just described or marketplace B that works the old way. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the new one. 
right? Yeah. So yeah. I, again, I think anytime that there's a new paradigm of, of, of interacting with customers, if you're not at the forefront of doing that, you're not going to be a winner. Got it. Got it. So I'll come to interacting with customers as well. But I'm sure you get up, approached by a bunch of companies right now who claim to do generative AI. Uh, when you sort of value these companies, right, the fact that they do generative AI, how much of an you know impact does that have on valuing these companies? That's an important question. And, and, and let me again now come back to our investment thesis, because we're not not everybody's the same on this front. So if you think about the, the three levels I described of the, the fundamental base models, the picks and shovels, and the application of AI. So obviously we're not at the bottom, but we're also not in the middle. So um, if, I was, if I was investing in picks and shovels, then I'd be looking at, hey, what's the quality of their pick and shovel here? How do they compare to the other guys that are building picks and shovels um, for AI? And I'm gonna value entirely on that period, right? I'm actually the level above. So what I'm looking at is the fundamental business. And I'm gonna say, hey, is generative AI gonna make their, for example, cost of customer acquisition lower or their cost of customer support lower so that the unit economics are better? So maybe the business is worth a little bit more or it can scale faster. But it's more a matter of, uh, I think it's more on the negative side of saying, hey, if they're not looking at generative AI well, then the founder is just not a good founder. And I'm not gonna value the business at all. It's that simple. So I'd say it's an accelerant for good businesses and it's a signal for weak founders. Got it. And what about existing businesses, which maybe weren't doing it, but are integrating it today? Does it really add to their value as well? Well, it does. And so, you know, we have about 350 portfolio companies across the global South and and they're mostly um, product and services companies. I say biased much, much more for services companies. And they, um, Many of them, if not all of them, are going to be able to use generative AI internally to increase productivity. That's a, anybody can do that. That's a, that's kind of a no-brainer to do that. Many of them very rapidly will be able to improve their existing product or service delivery by adding generative AI into the stream, like the example I gave with Farmer Advisory. Um, and some of them will pretty quickly be able to create entirely new experiences, like the example of a marketplace where you can now have a conversational search of a marketplace. So, so we're going to look for all of those companies to be doing uh, every one of those different models, right? Um, and, and starting with the most basic of improving your, your productivity and then improving what you got and then creating net new things. And um, there's no reason why they can't all be prototyping something in that space you know, within a single digit number of months at most. Um, so, in fact, we, we've run some workshops and got people doing it. And next week, we're having uh, about 15 of them together to do a show and tell of things that they prototyped since the previous workshop we did only only uh, 30 days ago. Mm -hmm. So it's moving fast. And and I think that the, the founders that get it, the CTOs that get it, recognize that they can put something in place um, and they can save money, make a better experience for the customers, and therefore, you know, be more competitive in the marketplace. That's simple. Yeah. Has it has it made your job uh, any difficult? Like, again, uh, in, in AI, we saw companies which essentially were frauds, right? They did not have AI. Uh, they exploited the concept, so to speak. And they said that we have AI, they got funding and so on. Has it made your job any difficult to sort of understand who actually is measurably doing it well? or who is just saying that we are integrating this? Well, I and my partners um, 
uh, many of us have deep technology backgrounds. So our job is to be able to sniff out bullshit. That, that we have to do that. And, and whether it's about AI or anything else, right? And so if we're talking to a, a tech founder and, and, and he or she says a bunch of stuff and, and our bullshit meter goes off, you know, we're done. Mm. Um, if our bullshit meter doesn't go off and it should have, then it's on us. Mm. Uh, but in the case of, of applied AI, it's really not hard to tell, right? You say, show me a demo and mm. let's see how it works. And which part of uh, uh, GPT-3 or 4 are you using? And are you using a hugging face model as well? And and are you uh, using the Azure hosted version? And you know, very quickly we can find out if they know what they're doing and and if they're making it happen. And you can also see is it really adding value to the, the experience that they're delivering to their customer, um, or is it just some window dressing? Mm. So actually, it makes my job more fun. I love it. <laughs> but what is that? like you said that if you know your bullshit meter might go off. How I mean, what are these things that sort of should make our bullshit meter go off because I also get a lot of companies who come and say, "Hey, I've integrated generative AI, and we are India's first, or we are India's best, and so on and so forth." What should we be looking out for? Well, I'd look out for. I'll go back to the middle layer, right? The picks and shovel layer. Anybody that says that I'm making the uh, Llama AI better, I'm making Open AI better because I've done all this great innovation on top of it. I'd be highly skeptical of anybody in that space. Now, there are many companies, maybe thousands of them that are doing that. Many of them will fail. And, and the reason for that is, and I've been a platform guy for all my 30 years as well. And when, when platforms rise, um, then the things that were above the platform sometimes get consumed by the platform. I did it first at Sun Microsystems, then at Microsoft. The rate of operating system uh, moving up was every 18 to 36 months, depending on how well things were going. In the world of generative AI, this is happening like every quarter, um, maybe every six months at most. Mm. So the platform is rising really fast. So if you're a founder saying, hey, I'm gonna go and fix some stuff over here and my innovation is making this aspect of the, of the AI platform better, well, the guys that build the platforms are doing that too. And so if you're, you, you could then effectively be, be washed out, you know, in one release of, of a new foundation model. And the amount of, of, uh, of investment in technology, engineering, compute power, uh, electricity that are going into making these things better is unprecedented. And so if you're going to say you're a little company who's sitting up there, that platform is going to rise, you're gone. So I think that's the place I'd look for first. Picks and shovel people that are claiming to do something that's going to be just consumed or subsumed by the platform in no time. Mm. I think people that are applying generative AI, it's pretty straightforward. If they've if they picked one of the big models and they've done some things that connect their proprietary environment on top of that big model, they'll do well. As the big model gets better, their product and service gets better. That's, mm. the, that's the beauty of it. So mm. it, it's, it's capable of making everybody's product and service at the top level, those who apply the AI, better at an increasingly um, powerful rate. Got it. And how do we equate sort of the use of, especially now that OpenAI and Google have sort of productized this and uh, they're giving out APIs for others to build on, right? How, how do we equate uh, the use of generative AI within a firm or a product to the money that they will make from using this? Well, 
to, to my taxonomy earlier, I think you have to think about this three different places. So one is the example of cutting costs out. So so let's say, and I'll give you again, the farmer advisory company brought Agri, their advisory is actually a, a loss-making business, that side. They real make, really make their business on e-commerce. And so if they can make that loss-making business lose less, right? Um, if they can provide advisory services for less cost, then they're going to be able to have a more profitable e-commerce business. So right away, by using generative AI to take 30 and ultimately 50% out of that, that side of their business cost, they're going to be able to scale more rapidly, have better unit economics for their uh, e-commerce business. So mm -hmm. that's a place where, now it could be that their e-commerce business was marginally profitable before, and now it becomes really profitable. Therefore, mm -hmm. the company is worth a lot more. Mm -hmm. So that, that's part one. Part two is saying, hey, are, are they going to be able to be approaching new users because of adding generative AI in their, again, customer uh, exchange place, um, wh wherever it might be. So let's say all of a sudden, think about the language barrier. And, and I've got a, a media product, an entertainment product, an education product. Um, and all of a sudden now I can offer that to people who speak different languages that I couldn't before because the AI can do translation in between, right? Mm -hmm. It can take, and, and that's all of a sudden going to open up new customers for me, right? Mm -hmm. That I couldn't have approached before. So, so I think the, the English web is going to become now accessible to literally billions of more people who are non-English speakers. That's going to create large new markets. And so companies that can go after those new markets and use the AI as the entry point to go after those new markets are going to excel. So those are a couple of examples of how we, how we think about it. Mm. These costs that they're able to cut, right? Most of this is coming by sort of cutting out human labor from in between, right? They're, they're able to cut jobs. How do you view this? There will obviously be job losses because of this, right? Well, the answer is yes. I think, but at the same time, there'll be jobs created. And that's what's important to think about. So while those customer service agents who are no longer needed to, to provide the basic pleasantries with a farmer mm. about, you know, how's your day going and when is my order going to ship? Well, they can now be, be repurposed and say, oh, what is the right uh, insecticide to take care of this tomato bug? And, and, and help train the AI to, to give them the right answer and, and do the right thing at the right time. So you can take people from a lower function and move them to a higher function. So, so the point is, just like any form of automation uh, eliminates things, you know, this thing about manufacturing, right? Robotic manufacturing means that the robots are building stuff at the base instead of, uh, instead of humans, but somebody has to program the robots, maintain the robots, um, do all the things that, that the robots can't do. So, hmm. so you're creating higher function jobs at the same time you're eliminating lower function jobs. Obviously, the ones that get eliminated at the bottom are eliminated at a higher scale, and I think it's incumbent upon society to say, hey, if we're eliminating all these lower end things, how do we train people? How do we upskill people such that they can do prompt engineering, such that they can do, you know, be an AI whisperer um, and know how to get the right thing out of the AI to to, for, to solve a, a customer problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really what, what what's going to happen over the next year. And there may be even in the policy realm, a need for for companies or governments to say, hey, if you're going to eliminate jobs because of AI and become more profitable, you better retrain those people, right? Mm. Got it. In fact, prompt engineering, I've been seeing, I mean, even I've, I've seen some ed techs starting to offer these prompt engineering courses and so on and so forth, right? Uh, do, do you see them, uh, these courses being effective? Do you see the 
sort of uh, training happening fast enough? Uh, well, I haven't taken any of those courses personally. Uh, I am glad to see that people are doing it. I can tell you from my own experience that it's actually hard to write good prompts. And you get very different results if you spend time prompting, not just one prompt, but a series of prompts and getting the framing right and the grounding right. So AIs are sophisticated things here and they know everything underneath, but you have to communicate to them in a, in a way that, that works with them such that the, the message that, that, that the customer wants is given back in the right, taken in the right context and you get the right results. So I, I do think that's a, it's a very valid thing. And, and I think one, one thing's exciting for India is that look, India has been a leading in the overall area of business process outsourcing for, for decades now, um, and certainly has more entry-level software developers than anywhere on the planet. So all of those people that have been doing that kind of work can now be retrained to instead of tediously writing entry-level code, the AI can write the code, right? People are doing this with Copilot now for six months, nine months. Um, instead of you know, handling you know really repetitive, monotonous, simple customer queries on, on a telephone or via chat, um, they can now be be escalation points and handling the harder ones. So I do think that there's an opportunity for even those masses of people whose jobs are a threat to be upskilled um, into new areas such as prompt engineering and um, and how to how to run you know how to do coding using AI uh, to uh, to be more 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 effective. And frankly, they're going to make more money because they're providing a higher level skill as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we have to upskill the people. But what about the AI themselves, right? The chat GPTs and the bards of the world, right? Uh, in fact, I, I was reading, I, I think you also shared this, uh, Stephen Wolfram had re- written a blog post about, uh, you know, how chat GPT can hallucinate and give you the wrong answers or sometimes the wrong right answers, but for the wrong reasons. And uh, th- there's really problems with these models themselves. They're, they're not, uh, they're nowhere close to 100% accurate. Correct. Um, I mean, it's up to, of course, uh, an open AI or a Google to solve that, right? Or or do you need the companies in between which are uh, using them to make solutions as well? Hey, look, um, again, you're a student of history, right? So um, did you use um, use Windows uh, 1.0, 2.0, or 3.0? Um, they, they weren't so good. Mm-hmm. They needed help. Windows 3.1, Microsoft got it right, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still in the early days uh, of these AIs, and they're changing at an astronomical rate, right? They're, they're doubling in capability every three to five months in terms of mm-hmm. quality and accuracy. If you look at the change from 3.5 to 4.0, um, I, you've seen the the, uh, the published studies about you know the, the standardized tests that they can take, uh, but the mm-hmm. bar exams or medical exams, and 3.5 scored this and 4.0 did that much better. The accuracy is increasing at, at a remarkable rate. So, so we're at a pace of, of unprecedented innovation here. So any criticism we have around, oh, it can hallucinate here, do this there. Yeah, of course, those are very legitimate criticism. Then technology is changing and, and those that are building it are going to look to say, how do you fix it? I, I asked uh, GPT-4 on Bing, which gives you references, which is really nice. I said, hey, tell me how many uh, IT jobs and, uh, and, and BPM jobs are in India at the end of 2022. And it came back and confidently told me the answer, and it turned and it quoted an ASCOM study. And I go back and I, I click through to do my fact checking, and it comes up, oh, that was 2021, not 2022. So you have to do your own fact checking here still, right? Uh, and and now someday they'll build an AI that fact checks AIs, right? And that, that that'll be the and there's no reason why that can't happen too. Yeah, yeah. So what is that point where you know you 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 tell a company that okay, stop, this is 
this is the limit of generative ai that you use today and you, you don't need to go beyond this at the moment because it it becomes dangerous probably like i see often you know uh, I, i see a lot of media firms i see a lot of uh, for that matter journalists who use chat gpt confidently to write today and i mean personally speaking i don't think that's a good idea right that that's a very bad idea at the moment right well so what point Yeah so so but let me come back to my point is is I I think it's incumbent upon everybody who is a citizen of the web to be responsible for things that they put forward and and that means that if I simply forward an article that that you wrote um and say hey this is true in my opinion I've read it and I actually think it's true and when you wrote that article you fact checked it yourself and you think it's true If you take something that just as I just example I just gave that just got spat out of an AI and I put that forward and it's wrong, I look like an idiot, right? And the fact that I put that out as being true when the AI gave me an error, that's that's on me. So I think it's everybody's job to to fact check and to confirm that things that an AI gives it are in fact, you know, some some semblance of of reality. And and by the way, this is only just beginning. Think about photos. You saw the Twitter uh explosion when the the fake photos and they're labeled fake of Trump's alleged arrest right came out and they were really well done set of ai generated photos um and some people really enjoyed that but the fact is that 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 if you look at those and you were not a discerning viewer you might actually believe they were true right and so i think people are going to have to have a higher personal bullshit filter themselves right they're going to have to look at things and also personal responsibility to make sure that things they put out in the world are in fact real based on on, on reality things they personally saw or things they personally know and 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 if you're going to use an ai to help you just like mm-hmm. you're if you ask a friend to help you and your friend tells you something you don't just go and repeat it without thinking right um mm-hmm. unless you know that your friend is is a, is a world expert on whatever that topic is so mm-hmm. i i think this whole thing about ai danger though i think it's overblown Um the the technology is here the genies are out of the bottle they are procreating in the clouds at speed there's no slowing them down so there's no saying oh we've gone far enough with gpt4 we shouldn't do gpt5 that that's a non-starter in my opinion um technology mm-hmm. cannot be stopped and the question mm-hmm. is how do we recognize where the technology is going how do we put some regulate the eu is going on to, on a regulatory path that openai just today said hey we might have to withdraw from the eu based on the regulation Yeah. You know, so so the regulation might be overreaching, right? Or maybe it's actually right on the spot and maybe open ash should withdraw from the EU until they can get these things right. I I'm not going to opine on that. It's a hard question and there's smart people working on it. But the fact mm-hmm. is we all as a society are going to have to recognize technology is moving fast. It's not going to stop moving. Um even if big companies slow things down, the re- researchers will keep pushing them forward, so it's not going to stop. The Chinese are not going to stop, right? Anybody that has yeah. the ability to to innovate is going to innovate. and and we all then have to figure out how do we live in a, in a fundamentally new world but when we think of all of this right uh, microsoft came up with windows the entire antitrust debate over browsers happened uh, people built for windows and then android came things happened over android and sometimes today when we look at policy making or we look at it doesn't have to be the dangerous dangers of ai but anything we've seen 4chan happen on the internet and we've seen problems happen with that and so on right do you ever worry where all of this is going because like you said the genie is out of the bottle open ai can be stopped google can be stopped but we we probably won't be able to stop an engineer just sitting in a room right uh, just to innovate on his own 
do you ever worry of the dangers that could go do you see that being a danger in future look i, I said worry is not a word in my vocabulary um i, I like to do things i'm a pragmatic doer so i i see that there is a possibility for danger and i say what are things that we can do to address that i because slowing down worrying or hand wringing or talking about it um without taking action is pointless so the genies are out there uh, look the llama model with weights is out there okay so and that's a very sophisticated model uh so that alone maybe it's not equivalent to the 3.5 but it's up there So worrying is not worth doing. What's worth doing is figuring out what should we do, and we have to be doing things as individuals, as companies, and as and as countries. And that's what I think really needs to happen uh, at scale and quickly. And when when Altman was testifying in front of the the Senate panel, you know, he said, "Hey, please regulate us." And they're all, "Yes, we want to do this. Thank you for helping." But boy, it's going to take a long time. Well, we don't. Ha- we need to move faster. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want to end with this. Before the call, I, I mean, I told you I sometimes think that this is blown out of proportion, right? So, if if you had to sort of answer this question, right, what are the things where we might be going overboard with this AI being dangerous or the dangers of AI, and where do you think some of the dangers that are being pointed out are maybe pragmatic and we need to do quickly and get a hold of these? Well, look, the, the danger that is unquestionable is the is the destruction of of low value jobs, right? That's going to happen. It's already starting to happen, right? Customer service people are being reduced in needs. IBM said, you know, don't need 30% as many people. Uh, put a hiring freeze on. Uh, software engineers are two to five times more productive already if they use uh, if they use Copilot. So so low functioning entry-level jobs are are going to be slowed or eliminated remarkably quickly across many industries across the entire world almost at the same time that danger is is it's not a danger it's a truism yeah so the question is what do you do about it and the answer there is you have to retrain people you have to arm and empower them with the new tools so just like when i was a programmed in assembly language when i was in high school and i learned how to then use fortran Well, if I didn't learn how to use Fortran as an assembly language programmer, I didn't have a job, right? You have to move up, right? And if you're using Fortran and didn't know how to use a database system on top of that, then you're not going to be out of you're going to be out of a job. So everybody who's that one level now needs to move up. And and so I I think that that's really what's incumbent upon the world is to create opportunities for people to use these new tools to improve their skills and to make sure they recognize, hey, if you don't improve your skills, it's going to be hard to find employment and at least in the in the white collar knowledge worker sector where where uh chatgtp and others are are really impacting jobs at scale got it i do agree with you i also think that you know in some cases because it's taking away low level jobs it's it's bringing a lot of industries sort of full circle you know media for example there was a lot of uh, sort of low level content creators who came into this which uh the chat gpt now you don't need them now you just need the old school reporters who who do report and get you the news right um uh, this is where i i wanted to ask you do you see with the startups you are doing as well with the companies you are interacting with our industry is coming full circle because of this this kind of you know ai I mean the answer is yes I I think the AI is there's been a push to profitability because of uh uh you know the the growth at all costs thing ended uh, whatever 18 months ago or so um so if AI is enabling people to get to be more productive and be more profitable more quickly they're going to all do that 
And, and they're going to say, let's take the people we've got and put them on the things that AIs can't do and let the AIs do the rest. And, and I think that's going to happen across, again, all industries pretty much at the same time. And it's incumbent upon founders and, and company builders and investors to make sure that's happening uh, at scale. Because it's, if you don't do it, your competitors are going to do it. And if your margins are like this and your competitors' margins are like that, who's going to get the next round of investing money? The guys that yeah. got good margins because they've cut the costs out or they've figured out how to make a better product or service based on AI. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks a lot for joining us here. I, I think we should talk again in six months on where all of this has gone based on this conversation. It should be fun. I'd enjoy that. I think it's, it's, it's good. It's changing rapidly. And uh, one thing I know for sure is that it'll, there'll be some things that surprise us in six months. <laughs> thanks a lot. Great. You're welcome. And that's it for this week's episode. Please do let me know what you thought of it and what else you would want me to cover. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Undertaker. Yes, you heard that right. That's U-N-D-E-R-T-E-C-H-E-R. You can also give us feedback at HT Smartcast. We're present on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And please do log on to htsmartcast.com and listen to all of our productions. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.